0: Welcome to the only one business show with me your host james nathan chatting to some of the uk's leading business professionals sharing tips insights and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger better and more profitable businesses as a result what can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients what exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan. Today in the studio, I have a fabulous guest for you and a guy that's making some proper waves. He's a mental health influencer, campaigner and public speaker with the goal of creating mentally healthier workplaces. He experiences bipolar disorder himself, so it's a very personal thing. He is founder of InsideOut.org, a social enterprise with the mission of smashing the stigma of mental ill health in the workplace by showcasing senior leader role models with lived experiences of mental ill health. This is done by virtue of a published annual list called the Inside Out Leaderboard. Inside Out also takes these role models into businesses for panel events, which is the aim of inspiring other senior leaders to open up about their own challenges and get behind the mental health agenda. In 2018, he completed the Mind Cycle Tour, riding over 3,000 kilometres of the Tour de France route on a static bike, sat in a number of different corporate workplaces, stimulating conversation about mental health. He's also passionate about stimulating investment into the preventative mental health wellbeing space, and at the moment is doing this through being chief analyst at BetterSpace, a mental health wellbeing solutions marketplace. And in this role, he's responsible for gathering the participants into a huge project called the Big Wellbeing Data Project, a mass collaboration designed to calculate the ROI of preventative solutions. Please welcome Rob Stevenson. Rob,
1: that was a mouthful. All of that. You're a busy guy. How how are you? Uh, thank you, James. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm, I'm really good actually, and I, ho- I only hope I can live up to that introduction that you've uh, you've just given me on this podcast.
0: Well, to, as a way of a background, I mean, you and I have known each other for a long, long time. We worked in the same corporate many or, or a lifetime ago. It feels like nowadays. Yeah. Um, and you started really pushing the the Smash the Stigma campaign. How long ago? Not so long. Ago now,
1: yeah. I think I've been working on this for probably about eighteen months now. So, um, you know, my backstory: I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was thirty. I'm forty-seven now, and over the years, after um, yeah, you know, being diagnosed, where I thought, "Great, I can be fixed. I can be mended. The the medical profession can can solve my problem here." Yeah, and then realised that actually. That wasn't the sole answer and the depression came back. And but I learned over the you know, from that period forward to to really manage my condition. And I, I learned that exercise is really important. I learned mm-hmm. that sleep is really important. I give myself a score out of ten every day. And uh, today I'm an eight. If right. I'm a seven, six, five, then I want to know why and, and what can I do in life to stop myself being a four. Because if I'm a four, I'm in bed with right. depression. And I can't get out of bed. I can't do my job. I cannot look after my children. So I've learned how to, you know, kind of kind of stay in that balance zone. There will be periods of depression. There will be periods of mania. But I'm, a, you know, a productive member of society. But I learned to do all of that under the radar, with only close friends and family knowing about it. And that was due to stigma. That was due to a fear that I'd be perceived differently. So my inspiration for Inside Out and helping smash the stigma in our workplaces it's personal really and it's about realizing that actually we should all be able to talk about our mental health in our workplaces and in society
0: and it's uh It's amazing that, you know, in 2019, we're still talking about this, but I'm, you know, the fact we are is important. And, you know, as you know, I suffer with depression myself and, and I don't talk about it. Well, I didn't. And then you and I started talking and I started to talk about it. And actually it's almost like a weightlifts, isn't it? It's uh, it feels quite nice to be normalized rather than feeling you're something very, very different.
1: Yeah, I, I I think so completely. And and actually when we lift that weight of pretending to be someone who we're not, of carrying that burden, we we can actually experience less of the challenges of mental ill health than than we would experience before. And I've heard this a number of times with role models from the Inside Out Leaderboard that having made that decision to be open, actually experience less of the challenges of their mental health condition itself. And I think that's due to that pressure, that weight being lifted from our shoulders.
0: Isn't that incredible? So what was the catalyst? What what, what happened 18 months ago where you thought, you know, do you know what? I really need to do something.
1: Yeah, it was one particular moment. And I heard a campaigner uh, called Jeff McDonald speak. And Jeff is now a good friend of mine. Um, and Jeff was... Talking to an audience about his work um, in in Ending the Stigma, but he was telling the tale of his anxiety and depression and the loss of a friend of his to suicide. And I was sitting there in the audience, and, and James, I felt shame. And the reason I felt shame is because there I was, a successful business owner with supportive people around me, great partners, lovely staff. And yet, every week when I'd go and see my therapist, I'd put the word physio in my diary. Right, physio for years. Yep. Right, my team must have thought I've got the worst physiotherapist <laughs> in the world. You must be hurting yourself. Constantly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Either you're forever doing something
0: silly, or that physio needs swapping out.
1: Yeah, exactly. And 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 yet, I'm coming in on a Monday. I'm telling tales of 100 mile bike rides, and right. so it didn't make sense. And 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 at that moment, I was inspired to be open personally. Mm-hmm. But I was further inspired to think. How could I contribute to the movement out there of of ending stigma in our workplaces and creating mentally healthier workplaces? And I did a lot of listening at the time. I went to conferences. I, I met people campaigning. And the message I heard consistently was, we do not have enough of our senior leaders from workplaces being open about their lived experience of mental ill health and acting as role models in our workplaces.
0: And so now you, you've you've got more and more people talking, and the, the leaderboard is quite a fascinating thing. How many people are on there now?
1: We published the first leaderboard in March with 42 role models, as I call them, um, participating, and that that ranges from CEOs, people like Jane Gadia, the ex CEO of Virgin Money, mm-hmm. through to partners in Deloitte and PwC. Um, but also partners in Clifford Chance and Herbert Smith Freehills, the law firms, through to MDs of smaller businesses and SMEs. And we even had the commissioner of the the London Fire Brigade, who's got an amazing story of vulnerability and leadership post the the tragedy that was Grenfell, where she realised that actually if her firefighters were going to seek the help they needed to recover from the trauma of that evening... Mm she needed to publicly declare that she was seeing a therapist herself and that was in the face of Pretty intense public scrutiny, as you can imagine, at the time. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's an amazing story of, of leadership and vulnerability. And there's many stories like that from, from the leaderboard. So, yes, 42 from different walks of life, different industries.
0: Fantastic. It's uh, you, you touched on something there which I think is quite interesting because of a, 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 a kind of fascination at the moment with uh, with people in the military and PTSD and, and the things that go on for them. And, uh, you know, the, the, the number of times that they live – like you described in shame of of not wanting to talk about their issues because of the kind of macho environment that they come from. and I guess the uh, the fire service is is very similar, but what they have to go through the things that they see um, nobody could imagine how how you would re- you would cope with that
1: yeah, absolutely and I, I think. We need to look at workplace cultures across the board. And funnily, you mentioned the forces. I, I was uh, on a panel with quite a senior uh, medical officer from uh, the Royal Navy yesterday. Mm-hmm. And and he was saying, actually, the, the culture internally is probably not um, as you might expect in that the the um you know the the members of the forces are actually talking more about what they see from a trauma point of view internally than we might see in some of the corporate workplaces, which is quite interesting right, but I think yeah you know, obviously where you do have macho cultures and combine that with um, with trauma like like the fire services or yeah macho cultures generally construction industry for example mm-hmm. that we have to work you know a lot um, a lot harder to create those environments where people can yeah put their hand up if they are struggling and, and speak out um, so some of the most rewarding. keynote talks that i've done to businesses are those sorts of cultures Yeah, i remember one of my early talks was to the royal berkshire fire service uh to their senior management team and you've got these grisly old senior firefighters Mm -hmm. um that we're inspiring to talk about mental health and the challenges that people face and it's it's really important
0: i mean there's some very understandable reasons in those kind of jobs why you know you would end up with with different issues um but you don't have to be in those roles, do you? I mean, accountancy is my background and yours. <laughs> you know, It's not the most dreadful uh, environment most of the time, but yet there's a, a huge number of people who are, are struggling under the radar.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And look, mental ill health knows no boundaries. It knows no boundaries of um, of class, of job title, of earning potential, sure there are environments that will be more stressful or more traumatic but actually mental ill health can strike down anyone and if you look at some of the the accounting environments there will be certainly work pressures that contribute to to mental ill health like you know year end reporting for example mm-hmm. and so then you start looking into the workplace culture of during those busy periods how can people balance the stresses that they are um experiencing with moments of recovery, and do the cultures that they work in allow that? So, mm-hmm. for sure, I think you know, in, in in our workplaces generally today, or in a lot of workplaces, we're we're using our minds rather than than our bodies for work. Um, and and mental Ill, Ill health can can apply to anyone.
0: How are businesses changing when when you talk with them and you you discuss the the issues that they're seeing? What are they then doing to change their cultures? Because culture shift is a slow thing, isn't
1: it? Culture shift is a is a slow shift. I think certainly in terms of breaking stigma of mental ill health, one of the the, the key things is, is getting leadership engagement. And and once you get leadership ga- engagement in the mental health agenda, that can start the process of culture change. Mm-hmm. You also then need other people sharing their stories in, in the organization. And that, that needs to be at all levels, in my opinion, mm-hmm. um, because storytelling is one of the most powerful ways of normalizing the conversation um, and, and uh, making people feel that they're not alone so there's great campaigns out there like the this is me campaign from mm-hmm. the lord mayor's appeal the the charity time to change the work of the city mental health alliance the heads together campaign you know, there's a lot of really great campaigns that are helping organizations do this but i think really the first part is you know breaking stigma that it, it making people understand that it's okay to talk about your mental health whether that's mental ill health or or actually your mental well-being and your mental health and that that's another issue really in that we often think of mental health as binary you know you're either well or you're ill mm-hmm. whereas actually we are on a mental health continuum we all oscillate on that continuum some more broadly than others like myself mm-hmm. but we all have mental health. We can all influence it. We all have good days and bad days. But actually, stigma prevents us from managing it effectively in the workplace, in my opinion.
0: So, obviously, the, the mind cycle was, was a very big campaign that you put together initially to, to get conversation happening, um, which, it, which it did in a superb way. Um, and you're running exhibitions of photo or well, photograph exhibitions in businesses now. How, how does that work?
1: Yeah, so the, the Inside Out uh, exhibition is a series of 15 portraits um, of the a number of the Inside Out role models from the leaderboard this year. Um, but it's portraits alongside quite impactive quotes about their challenges of mental ill health and the impact they've had on their workplace. So the vision for this is that people see uh, the exhibition and, and see that it is portraying leaders of our workplaces Who are being open and having an impact and really inspiring others to follow suit and i think that's the the main drive of inside out really it's to inspire change it's to inspire our leaders to say look it's okay to talk about your mental health and in any boardroom you will have people there who have suffered depression or anxiety or uh, ocd or other even more serious mental ill health conditions uh, either directly or with a family member or close friends, mm-hmm. so everybody's touched by this in some way. And I think what we want to do is inspire more leaders to follow suit, and it's hopeful that the exhibition um, is a very visual way of doing that.
0: I'm going to put some um, some contact details at the bottom of the of, of the show notes, um, and one of them will be how they get in touch with you. Because if if leaders do want to come and join the leader board, is that something that they can do?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So the criteria for for joining the leaderboard is uh, it's very simple. It's that you are a CEO or up to three stages removed or equivalent, mm-hmm. and you have experienced a period of mental ill health that has affected your ability to do the job. Right. Um, so you know it's it's meant to be quite simple, and um, I'm certainly happy to have a very confidential discussion with anybody who is considering um, that that move and would like to just know a little bit more about it. And the other thing that we 've done uh, with uh, with a couple of clients is actually Take in some of the role models from this year's leaderboard to have a kind of boardroom discussion with with a number of senior leaders who are considering sharing their story either internally or more more broadly on the inside out leaderboard. Okay, and that's worked pretty well because actually when you um, and you'll you'll be aware of this, James, when you do first share your story, you get a, a a real influx of positivity, but also of people sharing their own challenges with you. And you know when you're a leader of a workplace, that is amplified so mm-hmm. i've i've heard stories of um, some of my uh, role models once they've first first shared their story is you know they they've you know their inbox has been flooded with people either you know talking to them wanting advice or uh, you know just just really sharing their own challenges so it's important to sort of prepare yourself for that as well
0: mm-hmm. that that's an interesting phenomenon actually and it's um, it, it's almost a case of it takes one to know one but you're not looking for it I know with, with a lot of people who've spoken to me and they've said oh you know I, I didn't know you'd you'd had those issues before, mate. Me I do, you know, and have for a while and blah blah blah. And and you talk to them and then then the clues start to link up in your mind and you think, oh, do you know what? Why didn't I see that? How do we help people look for the, the signs? Or is is there a way that they can do
1: that? I think there's a very simple way. I think we need to be a bit more human in the workplace so i 'll tell you a story when I first decided to be open publicly about my my challenges, I realized I needed to be open with my children. Mm-hmm. So I had a conversation with my my daughter, Gabby, who was six at the time and Gabby, I said, "Look, how do we look after our, our our mental health?" And she quickly crossed out the the M and drew an L. She's very concerned about the health of our lentils. <laughs> so, so, kids I said, are wonderful, aren't they? <laughs> kids are kids are amazing. So, I said to Gabby, "Look, how how do we look after our lentil health?" And she she said, "No accidents. You know, wear wear your helmet on your bike." And I'm like, "Okay, quite literal answer from a six year old." So, uh-huh. I said, "What about yeah. our brain? How do we look after our brain?" And she said think a lot. And I said, okay, um, I needed to be more specific. So I said, Gabby, if you woke up one day and you didn't want to get out of bed and you're feeling really sad and you didn't want to do the things that normally give you a lot of fun and pleasure, what would you do? And she looked at me like I was asking the most obvious question in the world. She said, daddy, I would find someone who I love and I would tell them. I would talk. Find someone who you love and tell them. I would talk. So then I said, Gabby, If you went to school and you saw someone in the playground who was sitting on their own and not engaging in play, looking very sad, not acting normally, what would you do? And this time she looked at me like I was a complete and utter idiot. She said, Daddy, I would go over and I would see if they're okay. I would ask if they're okay." And for me, we can learn a lot from our children about issues that we overcomplicate as adults and in society. And so in the workplace, we have a unique perspective on people, a privileged perspective. We see people's behavior for Mm -hmm. eight hours a day. And actually, if we take the time to get to know people around us, we can see changes of behavior. We can see when people are not acting in their normal bounds of behavior. And then what could we do then? We could say, are you okay? And we could ask it and we could mean it. And we could say, no, no, actually you don't look right today. Do you want to have a cup of tea? Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to have a coffee? Can I help? Can I listen? And we're afraid of doing that because of stigma. We're afraid of talking about people's mental health. Whereas Mm. if if we saw someone come in in a cast on their leg, we would say, oh, no, you've broken your leg. How did you do it? Are you feeling about it? Are you okay? Can I help you? Can I get you a Mm. cup of tea? But we don't do that mentally. And we treat our mental challenges very different to our physical ones. So I think in the workplace, very, very simply, we can actually just be human and and check in with people on a regular basis.
0: It's an interesting thing you mentioned there about physical health because it is obvious, uh, you know, I, I, and I made this kind of connection a little while ago when I was talking to someone and so, say, you know, I have a very bad back um, yeah. and it's, it's well looked after and I'm pretty good, but if someone asks me to move something very, very heavy, I have to say no. Now I'm a big bloke and I look like I should be able to do it um, and they go, yeah, whatever you know, because you can't see the problem. And I think mental health's a bit like that. If you're not feeling great or you're not quite on it, it's just there's nothing physical and obvious to help someone. There's been some some ideas recently about um, making things more physical, more more obvious for people who are experiencing, you know, down periods or whatever it might be, like wearing a badge, for instance. Is that something – is that a good thing? What, What do you think of that idea?
1: i 'm not sure about that, I think we um, we need to get away from the labels a little bit, mm-hmm. and I think you know having something as overt as a badge doesn 't really sit that well with me. I think for me it 's about being able to connect with somebody um, on on a human level to understand you know when they are struggling um, or when they 're acting a little bit differently. And actually having that relationship, that caring relationship in the workplace that we're looking out for each other, which mm-hmm. I think is just about being a bit more human. Um, personally, um, I think we're wearing some sort of visual representation that I'm struggling today um I think it's a personal thing, but it wouldn't really sit that that well with me because whilst I identify as somebody who has a mental illness, being bipolar, mm-hmm. that is a, that is a part of who I am, and you know I, I choose to talk about it to inspire change. But it's a small part. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a cyclist. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a public speaker. We're we're all many many different things. Yeah. And I, and I think as we go through this journey about breaking stigma, we will start talking more about what are our problems rather than what are our mental illnesses um, and how do we overcome them. And so for me, I'm a little bit little bit nervous about the visual representation um, in in that way. What mm-hmm. I do like with a visual representation is people who are ready to listen. Right. So I've heard, you know, I've heard good stories in workplaces where people who are trained in um, mental health first aid or um, have, have you know, had training in, in sort of listening skills mm-hmm. and have maybe a different colored lanyard that Actually, you know, if you're struggling, those people are available to talk and it's identifying people that are not necessarily your line manager or in your immediate team, but who are mm. available to have a chat about mental health.
0: I love that idea. I think that's, that's a really clever thing and a very simple thing, isn't it? Um, but also with, with it not being your line manager or not being your team it, it would be easier, I think, um, to have those conversations where you don't feel it has a direct impact immediately, and allow you to come come to sort of to become more open about about what's going on. When you were talking about Gabby, I love that story. I think it's absolutely fabulous. My, my kids a little bit older than yours, but they're they're not that old yet, and they still have those sort of conversations. And um, what I love is that. Because we're having conversations—not me, you, but us as a, as a community, as a society—around um, issues of mental health, as well as physical health, as well as wellness and well-being generally, and happiness, and good eating, and every every other aspect of a of a, a balanced life. Kids see that as normal, and then you know they don't think of it as something very different. And I, I'm hoping—I mean, I have a couple of hopes in my life. One is that within a generation, um, you know skin colour becomes something kids don't see, because mine certainly don't see it. Yeah. Um, and I think that would disappear similar with, with issues of, uh, of male and female difference in workplace. I think that will disappear. Um, smoking, I'm really hoping, will also disappear. But yeah. the big one is that, that mental health becomes a, a normalised agenda rather than a difference. And I think that that's coming. And if kids like Gabby can be so incredibly insightful at six, um, you know, what could she be like at 30?
1: Yeah, I I agree. And and I'm an optimist, James. And I think the the sheer uh, level of campaigning, the sheer number of people, you only have to look at Mental Health Awareness Week, which um, was, was fantastic in terms of the noise, the posting from mm-hmm. individuals, companies, charities, celebrities, royals. Um, it's really on the agenda and there's a willingness to, to create change. Now, I think we're in the foothills of where we need to be, but I think the desire from a whole bunch of people and a bunch of stakeholders is there. Yeah. Um, and actually, when you think about it, it's ridiculous. We, we use the word stigma quite a lot, right? And yeah. stigma is defined as a mark of disgrace associated with a particular quality or person. Now, are we really saying that someone suffering from mental ill health is disgraceful? Of course we're not, you know? And actually we 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 wouldn't accept that in, in society for someone with cancer. Would we? you know and, and there was a stigma associated with cancer and that 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 has been eroded so i think we're getting there there's lots of work to do and there's lots of you know taboos um and language and policies to unravel mm-hmm. but i think the willingness is there so i i'm optimistic that cer- certainly in within within a generation we'll see that
0: Uh, That would be, I mean, you you mentioned there cancer being a a stigma attached to cancer, and you you know, you almost shudder to think, really, how could people possibly think like that? Um, but we're only talking a generation ago,
1: yeah. It used to be called the big C, right? Nobody would want to say the word,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. But then, uh, then things change and they change really well when we're talking about. Um, the future of mental health in our lives in the workplace. You, you I, I, In your introduction there, you touched on preventative mental wellbeing, um, yep. which I'm absolutely fascinated by. Tell me more about that.
1: Yeah. So I think if, if you accept the fact that we all have mental health um, and you accept the fact that we're all on a, a mental health continuum, you can then start to look at, well, given any population, where are we on that continuum? And so – There's been some work done by some uh, Cambridge academics called Keyes and Huppert, Mm -hmm. and they've kind of mapped out that normal distribution. And so you've got about roughly 18% who've got a disorder or a diagnosis. You've got a similar amount, 17%, who are actually thriving at any one time. And so the other 65% of a population are either languishing, which Mm -hmm. is where you get your presenteeism statistics from, or have moderate mental health. But here's the thing, right? If you haven't had a disorder, and like me or yourself, you haven't been forced to discover what works to maintain positive mental health, you actually don't really know how to manage your mental well-being. Mm -hmm. You know, you you might exercise a bit because you know you should keep physically fit, but you might not understand the benefits on mental health. You certainly might not feel the need to practice mindfulness or taking recovery breaks in the day or working on your social connection or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So actually, I think the the One of the biggest opportunities for employers and individuals is to accept the fact that we can positively improve mental health and then go about discovering how to how to do that. Now, I think it's difficult because we're not taught how to do it like we're you know we're taught dental hygiene, mm-hmm. we're, we're, you know and so we know how to brush our teeth, we're not taught how to look after our mind. So there's this discovery process that we need to do. It's doubly difficult for organizations because I think what works for an individual can differ wildly. Yeah, so mm-hmm. for me, exercise is crucial. Somebody else might need to do some good in society and get a sense of purpose to improve their well-being. Mm. But I think actually there's a great opportunity here. So that's why um, I'm really excited about the, the Better Space platform that I'm involved in, which is a... It's a marketplace, a bit like an Airbnb, that is designed to help direct individuals and and corporate budgets to what might work for that individual. And it could be Headspace to Barry's Bootcamp to woodwork or singing lessons. There's a whole range of things that are are good for the mind on there.
0: Fantastic. It's... um... I, I just I mentioned before, I, I love the idea of that. I think that the fact that um, that people are starting to talk about it puts it on agendas. Once it gets on agendas, budgets appear. Uh, when budgets appear, things happen. Um, corporates are, are, are very budget-driven, a bit like the NHS, I guess. You know, there's not enough money in – well, there's never enough money, is there? Um, and the more we, we look at allocating resources um, in different ways, the better businesses we have. And, you know, we were talking earlier about um, – because you know, I talk a lot about the, the, the service that businesses give and how that, how that yeah. knocks on into, you know, makes them a better business. Well, that's a lot of that is to do with hiring the right people with the right core values and the right purpose to join that business. Um, if your business has a very strong health agenda in all aspects of health, I can't see how that wouldn't attract better and more people to your business
1: yeah ab- absolutely. and I think there's there's a few points that I'd like to make on that. I mean, I think you, you've touched on you know the service and and the delivery of, of service to clients and I, and and I know this is something you're very passionate about, James, in delighting customers and clients and by by giving excellent service. Um, I think to be able to be able to do that, we need to actually be giving excellent service to the the the, pay, the people that we're employing, mm-hmm. and that is creating workplaces that are healthy. Um, and allow people to thrive. Uh, I think it's also putting those people higher up the order of values of of the organization. So most organizations in some way, shape or form will have shareholder value or stakeholder value as a key driver. Mm -hmm. But what about actually creating healthy places to work? So the environment agency, for example, have got a value of um, creating a, a place to work that is a life enhancing experience. Now, Imagine starting that with your value and then working down to the well-being and and mental health of employees within it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the other point that that, that resonated when you were speaking there is actually about the budgets for preventative solutions, Um, because I think these budgets don't really exist yet, um, because mental health is only just onto the agenda, Mm -hmm. and organisations don't really know actually where to invest anyway in the preventative solutions. So I think we've got to kind of prove the the investment case to a certain extent to create a new budget that's not just simply allocating cost from another part of the business. Right. And so there was some really interesting work done by McKinsey uh, a number of years ago around climate change. They um, they basically calculated something called the marginal abatement cost curve, which was mapping out everything from loft insulation and wall insulation right through to nuclear power and working out what the payback or return on investment would be. Mm-hmm. And so one of the projects I'm involved in, which you referenced at the start, the Big Wellbeing Data Project, is actually a mass collaboration to try and get people using these preventative solutions across 10 companies and 10,000 employees, mm-hmm. and then work to track how that affects wellbeing but then how we go from that increased well-being number to an increased productivity number in monetary terms. And then we can say, actually, here is the return on investment data that you know, if your CFO needs to see that to assign new budget because we're going to get you know, five to one returns on these investments – then really we're creating the budget to invest in preventative solutions. And then we can create those healthier workplaces that, that will allow us to deliver and delight our customers.
0: Fabulous. Fabulous. Rob? So much to think about there, um, and I hope that people listening are starting to to wonder what they can do in their own businesses and what they could start to think about so could you what what's your big one thing what's what's your golden nugget that people could take away to try and make their businesses a better place now and for the future? what could they
1: do? I think for me the the big thing that businesses can do is actually getting their leaders behind this agenda, and that can be by going on the inside out leaderboard and sharing their lived experience if they have so, have some lived experience um, and are prepared to do so. Or it could just be getting leaders to to buy into um, to, to what it's all about. So increasingly, what I'm being asked to do is go in to present to boards um, mm-hmm. and, and spend time in board meetings. And um, that's a real privilege to do that. But actually, the response I'm getting is, okay, we see what you're saying here. How do we make it happen? How do we put this into practice? Yep. And once our boards and our senior leaders are engaged in the mental health agenda, then we will see change and we will see culture change as well.
0: Rob, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a super busy guy at the moment. And if people want to get in touch with you, um, I'll put all the details below. Um, They can do that. They can contact you. They can talk about um, the leaderboard, whatever aspects of what you do with them. Um, But Rob, thank you so, so much for your time.
1: Brilliant. It's a pleasure, James. And always time to speak with you. Thank you.
0: I hope you really enjoyed this episode of the Only One Business Show. And I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts. And in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.